0: I'm Amanda and you're listening to Tea with Two Revs, an activity of the Growing Faith Down Under Project. And this week I'm delighted to welcome for the second week to the virtual coffee table with Kappa ready to go, the uh, ever almost Dr. Michelle Eastwood again. Um, And today we are concluding our conversation uh, around the book of Ruth, which come from the lectionary readings for Sunday the 7th of November 2021, which is the 20th fourth sunday after pentecost or week 32 in year b of ordinary time and so if you don't already have them handy hit pause now go and grab your cuppa your picky and your bible and let's get started hi michelle it's great to have you back again this week thank you for inviting me oh no worries we couldn't do the beginning (laughs) of ruth and not conclude it could we that's right we have, to finish. <laughs> we have to finish and uh and we we actually have uh, begun this recording late because we spent so much time beforehand uh talking about it that I was almost tempted just to hit the record button anyway so um you know we always go through and do the pre-check and say so what are the things we want to cover and do that and then we started diving into this great conversation I'm thinking man I should have just been recording this one so um <laughs> so how are you traveling this week Oh, I've had a bit of a busy week. I've been writing liturgies
1: and trying to get other writing done and and put together the Festival of Learning for the Australian Lutheran College. Um, so Brilliant. we will put a link to that in the notes. Although Yeah, I'm not sure yeah there's, that'd um, be great. Links yet available. But that's yeah. in February. That's in
0: February. Uh, and it
1: will be available all online. So if you wanted to connect in with us, you can from anywhere in Australia or if you're in Adelaide, you might be able to get along to the dinner or the... Um, actual in-person
0: sessions. Oh, fantastic. That sounds like a great opportunity. Um, And the writing that you're doing, you were telling me you're writing uh, for MediaCom at the moment. Is that for a series of devotionals or, you know, weekly readings or is that 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 kind of writing? (laughs) Um, It's liturgies, but I don't really know
1: where they fit. I responded to an ad that said, we want people to write liturgies. And I thought, that's something I
0: love doing. So pick me <laughs> great you should have sent me to add as well i would have loved to have done that but no i'm already i've got if enough i see things it again on, or so. if they're asking
1: again i
0: you know <laughs> <laughs> i've got enough things on i've got enough things on um well that's really exciting that you've been able to um do those things and uh so things are still waiting for uh word on your your thesis but so far so good yeah and then,
1: yeah well no word um and i don't expect so i submitted at the start of october but it takes three months to um get anything back like that's the general time frame so i'm not expecting anything until just before christmas
0: probably Mm -hmm. okay well let's hope it's a happy christmas i'm sure it'll be a happy christmas anyway but you know (laughs) that would be a wonderful gift to have wouldn't it yes it would (laughs) (laughs) there we go hey listen um we've got some great readings for us to finish up with today and uh on Monday night uh, on the Sondercloud Live that happens, Odd Sonder Live that happens in the Young Adults local community, we had the Associate Professor, uh, Reverend Dr. Um, Sean Winter from Centre, yes. from Pilgrim Theological College in Victoria, and he gave some very interesting things to be talking about uh, in terms of these readings. And there was particular mention of feet and, and I'm still trying to <laughs> try to figure out why those particular mention of feet. Uh, no folks. Um, we're going to dive into all of these things today. Um, this, these couple of chapters could be considered to be a little bit saucy and a little bit um, controversial in this some game. ways. Um, so but that's a perspective that sits generations apart from the actual time and setting. so um, So yeah. Look, I wonder whether to begin with you have any observations that you might like to make across the readings for uh, this week. So today, today, well this week, we're actually listening to Psalm 127 uh, and we're following up the Hebrews reading uh, and the same with the Mark reading as well too. We're sort of following those tracking from where we were last week. Yeah, so I would like to
1: say a little bit about the psalms before we dive in because yeah, we also don't do. get time to come back to it but mm. uh this psalm is one of a group of psalms called the songs of Ascents, mm-hmm. and as we were talking earlier um with lots of these things we don't actually know what that means but mm. there's sort of some suggestion that this might have been psalms that people ra- sang when they were going to jerusalem at the temple making their you know yearly pilgrimage to the temple these are the psalms they wrote so if you look at the whole group of them uh, there's lots of you know lift up your eyes, so going up towards the Temple Mount, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's this theme too of not doing things in vain. So um, you know in this one we've got today in Psalm 127, yeah. you know it says unless the Lord's on your side, you'll be doing it all in vain. And and it of course says doesn't don't get up early in the morning and don't go late to rest, which I love that idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and don't be anxious, but because anything you do. Um, if the Lord's with you it will work out and if he's not there or if God's not then um, mm. then it won't be a it, it won't work out anyway um, and if you are interested
0: there's a beautiful song by the Sons of Korah on their Shelter album. Yes, yes I, so I will link that this week because that is one of my favourites um, in terms of this
1: so, um. so if you're not familiar with Sons of Korah they are an Australian band who mm. just sing the Psalms Um, And they have a number of albums and and they're all very beautiful. And I I love having it playing in the background. And and I often love coming into the Psalms and go,
0: oh, I know these words because the Sons of Korah have sung them. Yeah, (laughs) and and they literally are the words um, of the Psalms. Uh, Sons of Korah have been the things that have gotten me through some very challenging um, moments. And, uh, I mean, that's just the sheer beauty of the fact that what they've done is they've taken the Psalms and they've put them to... Uh, our kind of musical context now so it's actually really not any different for us the moments when we we want to celebrate or we want to lament or we want to actually you know um cry out to god it is the psalms that we turn to um and that's what they were designed for and so it's, it's really quite magnificent that you know we've got these things now for us in our own kind of musical uh, age as well too, that people are still taking them and, and doing beautiful things with the words from the psalms. Um, so that's that. And I haven't heard an
1: album of theirs that I didn't like. So hopefully you'll find that yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: true. Um, and in fact, there's a couple of other folks that I've come across in the last couple of years as I've been preparing and doing a lot more online um, liturgy work that have got some beautiful psalm work as well too. So I'll just add. Uh, a link to their pages as well in YouTube and you can go through and explore those because it really is um, a magnificent thing to be able to have that connection there. I just want to go back to what you were saying about the Psalms of Ascent, um, the Songs of Ascent and how this one fits into that particular category my understanding is or my recollection is that when we talk about the way that they would be travelling up to the temple, the temple was on um, was it on the highest point in the city, is that, or, or one of the high points <laughs> in the city? Like there was, it literally was sort of going to the peak kind of thing, I think, wasn't
1: it? I, I do believe so. And and they talk about going up to the Temple Mount, mm. so I mm. imagine, but I don't know. This is not my area of expertise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't spent a lot of time in there. But yeah. but yeah, I do, I understand that you go quite a way up to yeah. get to the Temple. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the Temple then, I think that's an ancient... Uh, near east sort of thing that the temple is the highest point in the city so that every all eyes look up to the
0: temple yeah that that is my recollection like very vague recollection um of of the study and work i did around that but i'm sure that there'll be some other things that we can find that might just place that for us um a bit more certainly um that we can just link to this week as well too because for me it's actually really one of the things that i'm fascinated by is the cultural history that that we're talking about of the, the time and setting. And I guess that's why this story of Ruth is actually um, an amazing story because there's so much culture that's embedded in this story uh, that, that you know, brings with it its own um, sort of questions about um, the appropriateness of it in our own day and time because we have very different understandings of what's what's culturally you know right or appropriate or or where the lines and and boundaries and things are so it it really is a a fascinating reading not just because chapter three's got all of those great you know little um, hints (laughs) of seduction and stuff in there well not even hints at it's quite you know Naomi's quite up front about saying to Ruth, now, come on, um, you know.
1: Let's go get ourselves a man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And this is how you do it, you know. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to that. So um, I wonder if there's, you know, any anything else we want to dive into before we actually jump straight into Ruth and sort of unpack it fully. Well, on that point too, I, um, I think it's really important
1: that we do mind the gap. It's so easy yes. to read the Bible and go, oh, we know what marriage is, and therefore when we see marriage in the Bible, it's exactly what we're thinking marriage yeah. is. Or we know what um, how parents and children relate to each other so when we see it in the Bible. Yes. So I think some of these bits in Ruth that make us go, well, that's a bit strange, it should remind us that it's all a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. And there is this huge gap between what we experience and what we know and what's in here, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but they're still people too so while there is this huge gap there's also this huge connection and I think for me when I read the Mark reading that's what I get too like you know you read this and you're saying beware the scribes and I'm like I know I've (laughs) seen religious leaders who are so interested in their own importance that they don't bother and I've seen that older woman at the back of the church giving all she has and it's not very much because she doesn't have very much Mm -hmm. but in the scheme of things it's much more than the person who has everything that can just do it as sort of a lark um and we don't actually value her um contribution so often even though it's here and i was doing a um contextualized bible study with a guy called Jared west he's a south african scholar and Mm -hmm. just does brilliant work um and we, we sat th- and we said, you know, who are these people in the story? And I thought, sometimes, you know, we can make this old woman out to be a hero, but I always like to problematize or realize people. I thought, if she's only got two queens left, it may not matter if she puts them in because she's not going to have any money left anyway. Yeah, so you can't right. buy anything with, t- you know, if you just had 10 cents you yeah, can't yeah. buy anything at the shops with 10 cents so you may as well not anymore you can't yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah so I think sometimes I mean we should valorize her for giving um and be willing to give all she has yeah. but I think too we need to be aware of the reality too that sometimes you just go oh you know it doesn't matter anymore because I haven't got anything I can't yeah. I haven't got
0: anything to lose yeah that's right uh, and for me I you know I As I was reading through these passages again, I couldn't help but make the connections between the way that they both talk about um, the widow and, and just the sheer fact that when we are faced with these readings today, we're reminded time and time again that the people that... Jesus is talking about are the people that are sitting right on the very fringes of society, um, and and for Naomi it, it wasn't just because she was a widow, but because they'd actually left the land and you know married into the families in in the Moabite community and and then had to come back again and sort of doing all that stuff. There's all that extra cultural stuff that sits around that that you know we talked about last week being not quite as as prominent in our own society but still there within our own time and, and world setting, that, you know, there'd still be um, the, the experience, uh, a similar kind of experience for um, folks nowadays as there was for Naomi. Um, and, and definitely, again, with the widow's offering, that would be the same. Um, well, and it's to sort of, women.
1: Yeah. We know that the fastest growing population of homeless are older women yeah, yeah. who um, suffer from the pay gap, um, yeah. probably have taken a time out of the workforce to have kids, mm-hmm. who might have been divorced and yeah. lost whatever security they had. And we yeah. know that it's much harder, it's much more expensive to be poor, um, yes. and these are probably women who are feeling deeply ashamed because they never thought that they would be one of the poor people absolutely and you know I think a widow in the ancient Near East we tend to think does carry some shame around it because Mm -hmm. like for some reason it's your fault that or that God has forsaken you by taking your husband There is lots of shame about being divorced and being vulnerable. And and we know single mothers
0: with children are really some of the most vulnerable in our society. Absolutely. And and what's really interesting for me too is that even in our day and age, what tends to happen and the experience that that we see and hear about time and time again is of of these women who have actually um, married and had life and done all of those things, but their husbands actually have died long before them. And usually that's actually quite... Like that's quite common for that to happen even in our own day and age. So it does become sort of the same story. Uh in our own time, you know, these these women uh do find themselves to be the ones that are still on the outside. Um and still And incredibly resourceful (laughs) manage very,
1: very little. And they won't tell you how little they're managing on mostly.
0: No, Um, no. Uh and, and I've seen and met some absolutely wonderful women who um, I, I definitely would say uh, are managing on very little um, and you would never guess that they were managing on as little as they do um, or that they were as resourceful as they were, you, you know, because for them there is a, it, I don't think it's, it, I, I wouldn't suggest that it was a shame thing um, in this setting but certainly it's a, um, I, I, I need to sort of be seen to be able to be my own person in the world um Mm. you know uh and so that is that is an interesting thing and so we get this story of ruth uh and naomi and the way that they need to actually try and the way that they go about reclaiming their place not only in society but also sort of ensuring that their lineage um continues as well too and that's actually a mark of significance and, and great importance for us too as we come to think about uh who's who and where we are sitting in the line that comes down uh through david to the birth of christ so you know there are all these indicators there about the importance of this story and yet the fact that this story is actually sort of so unusual and out of character, I guess, with a lot of the other stories that uh, we have for us in Scripture.
1: Yeah, and,
0: of course, Ruth is one of the five women, I want to say, yeah. um,
1: in the genealogies of Christ. So it's, for me it's really interesting to go back and read though the stories of the women who get included because none of them are the perfect... Israelite woman who's born into a family they're all kind of outsiders or have difficult stories and um or confront us in some way
0: yeah 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 um there are very few women that actually appear in the the genealogy of Jesus and yet each and every one that does has uh, a very significant story that actually speaks um mountains I guess into the kinds of things that uh we hope for and we long for in in the king that jesus is uh and that we know you know the king that jesus is to be not that they necessarily knew or understood that at the time um but that certainly has been my experience as i read through those stories and we come to um sort of unpack those too so um i wonder is there anything that we want to remark on about hebrews before we do kind of dive all the way into ruth because I'm I'm keen to dive into Ruth, Ruth. I'm keen to dive into Ruth, but I don't want to actually (laughs) skip over anything if there is something that needs to be said about that reading today too.
1: Well, you might be better at this than I am because I don't do (laughs) New Testament very much. I try and stay in the Old Testament because that's just where my heart has drawn me to. Um, But it is worth noting that, you know, lots of the letters... Uh, in the New Testament are by Paul well Hebrews is not by Paul yeah. and it's probably to a really different audience so we see different themes in Hebrews mm-hmm. uh, and you know they're talking to a Jewish audience and what Jews might take out of this mm. so then um, often Hebrews is not one of the ones that we talk about a lot I think I think mm-hmm. it tends to get a bit sidelined
0: yeah. um,
1: because we don't understand what there's a big gap between what's comes across in hebrews and and it's talking about you know sacrifices and blood and all these things that we don't do um so I think that's worth being conscious of yeah. that we read it. But do you have any insights on the Hebrews passage? What I, should you take? Yeah,
0: I think for me what I take sort of from Hebrews is, and as I just look back over the the chapter nine headers that I've got in my translation, it's all things to do with covenant. So, you know, the sacrifices that we talk about, they are all actually part of the covenantal process as well too. And for me that is, I guess, the key thing that sort of stands out amongst all of these readings today is that idea of the, the covenant being realized because um, you know and the way it connects in we we go from the old we move into the newer then Jesus is actually speaking to the people um, talking about what's to come as well too uh, and the ongoing covenant that we heard about last week um, you know with the greatest commandment when we were talking about the Shema that sort of all still sits in and around this and underlies this and and for me I think Um, is highlighted by some of those stories um, that we get or the the readings we get in Hebrews which kind of remind us that we move from one time and place to another time and place so it's kind of that transition across the ages and so now as we read into these stories again for us we kind of go how do we make sense of this now in our own space and our own place and you know what does it look like the bit that we have Um, for us today is right at the end of chapter 9 which is actually um, talking about the Messiah so when we're actually looking at the stuff that we uh, the readings that come from Mark we haven't actually really um, identified Jesus as Messiah yet because that's not to be uncovered yet even though what we read in the gospel for today actually takes place once they're actually in Jerusalem, um, you know, preparing for Passover. So we're in that Passion Week narrative that we know and that we have. Um, So there's a sense in which what we read in Hebrews takes us forward more and actually says, it's talking about the fact that, you know, he didn't enter into a sanctuary made with hands, but into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Like going back to that whole idea of what was um, culturally um, Mm -hmm. appropriate at the time. So Jesus does this once, one time, and it's for all of time. Um, So there's this whole way of reshaping the understanding and the way that we talk about covenant and, and the offerings that are made. And so then for us, I guess, The question that we take on from that is how do we actually take on those offerings and those understandings and what does it mean for us that Jesus makes this offering once for all time? Yeah, so that, I mean, there's kind of those, there's those kind of elements as well. So for me, there's also the resonances that we have between this and Ruth, where we're talking about the idea of having a redeemer or a savior. So Boaz in the story of Ruth (laughs) is actually um, identified as being the familial savior. Um, And I think the word actually in the translation I was reading actually was savior, Um, because the role there is to actually bring back into right relationship so you know for me there's that i'm not putting Boaz as a as a christ-like figure but there is that essence in which what they are called to do is not too far the scale's just very different <laughs> so it's not too far from one another in understanding but the scale upon which they do it is significantly different
1: yeah yeah and um, i think when you were talking about covenant too i was conscious that like Covenant is quite an old-fashioned and a, quite a church word in lots of ways. And I think if we think, whenever we hear the word covenant, if we think about relationship, mm-hmm. um, this is a promise to be in relationship, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. with God and with each other, mm-hmm. um, then it starts to, you know, there are relationships here yeah. and someone has to do it, step in to save the relationship. Yeah in hebrews it's jesus stepping in to save the relationship Mm, um mm. all the way through it's this
0: relationship that is the key thing absolutely And, um, and yeah that is just the reminder for us that we are a relational people that everything we do is relationally based you know we are created because god intended for us to be in relationship with god's own self so you know um the idea of covenant for me just speaks volumes and when we think about it in our own um, time and setting as we hear more and we speak more about the need for there to be renewed commitments and covenants with our first peoples between first and second peoples it's actually that kind of commitment to restoring the relationship to what it what it is supposed to be and so all of that stuff sort of feeds into and speaks into Um, these readings as well too and you know funnily enough and not funnily not funnily enough but for me I my brain just kind of goes and yes we are actually looking at a a story about you know a family that have had to actually move into foreign territory and then come home so it's that whole idea of being strangers in you know in in a foreign land how do we do that Um, but then how we're strangers in our own land as well too you know Um, and how do we reconcile that stuff and how do we actually live that out Uh, and how do we honour the lands as well too Um, and so we could go down another whole path and conversation just around covenanting and the idea of honouring the lands and what does it mean to be reconciled with one another and how do we live that out and um, I'm not suggesting that you know we're not going to do that but I think it, it would not do justice to the conversation to try and fit that conversation into this particular reading um for today given all that there is still to to be said about Ruth so um I'm going to actually just park the conversation say, just let me put in a plug yeah please for... do yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm coming up in I should know the date um uh, it'll be in the thing in November I think no it must be December at the start of December there's a uh, symposium being run by apto apto is the association of practical theologians of oceana and we are running a symposium about reconciliation reconciliation and healing so talking about racial reconciliation oh, talking fantastic. about gender reconciliation talking about reconciliation with queer people uh, it's Brilliant. free um we would love you to be involved in the conversation so we'll stick a link in the um in the notes yeah absolutely uh, i've already written it down because you
0: this. know that's <laughs> something very important i think for us to to actually participate in is figuring out what do we need to do so that we can actually be active participants in this part of the story as well too um because the you know for me the sense in which if we are talking about being in right relationship with god Um, we actually can't be in right relationship with God until we're restored in relationship and right relationship with one another. So, um, you know, this becomes a really important part of the story. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm actually really excited by that. So that's wonderful. (laughs) Um, You know, we've already spoken for for almost half an hour yet, but I I think we just do need to give some extra time to... to, uh, to Ruth, and I know our listeners have gotten used to our sessions actually extending in time frames as we become more and more um, engaged in, in sort of reading and listening to the whole of the, the story of the gospel for us. So, um, Michelle, let's dive headlong into <laughs> Ruth um, and see what comes out of it for us today. So, what do you want to start with? You know, <laughs>
1: Well, I reckon it's worth starting with. You know, we get a real condensed – I mean, Ruth is already a condensed story, but we get an mm. even more condensed mm-hmm. ser- serving of it in the mm-hmm. lectionary. You only get um, – for this week's reading, you get verses 1 to 5 of Chapter 3. Um, so know. Naomi's telling Ruth to get dressed up, go to the threshing floor and mm-hmm. do what Boaz says. And then in verse 13 to 17 of Chapter 7 – you get and Rita, she married him, which is from Jane Eyre, my favourite book. Um, and they have a son, and that's exactly how Jane Eyre finishes. They've through. taken Perhaps all that's... of the juicy bits <laughs> out of it, you know. It's, they it's, have it's... taken all the juicy bits out and all the interesting things. How do we get from hussy yourself up, make yourself attractive to him, to they get married? But
0: um, all right, so, so that's my question to you: How do we get from there? So, um, by the way, I wouldn't say hustle yourself up. I think what, um, what Naomi is actually talking about is not like it, it's, it's, it's the idea of go and make yourself ready, but I don't know. Like when I hear um, in our day and age we talk about hussies and that doesn't bring the same kind of image to mind that I think of when I'm thinking about how, Ruth, uh, sorry, how Naomi is suggesting to Ruth that she presents herself for this particular occasion. Well, I think for me, it's part of like we devalue women's beauty. We say to women, you have to be beautiful, but then
1: we devalue it at the same time. So when I say hussy, there's absolutely no negative connotation there. Right. It's, I know when my daughter goes out for a night on the town and she likes going out much more than I do. I'm an introvert, (laughs) so (laughs) find me at home or at a theological conference. Mm But, um, you know she makes her hair beautiful she picks a gorgeous outfit she might put on some makeup although I don't think she wears heaps of makeup and but perfume, if you want to wear heaps of makeup you, know? you put on perfume so you smell nice mm. especially with all the sweaty bodies on the dance floor like
0: yeah.
1: you want to make yourself pretty and make yourself available yeah. and it's a conscious decision to make we all make ourselves beautiful sometimes that's true that's um true. so I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that and I actually think men could do a bit more of this making themselves beautiful (laughs) from time to time i love it when a man dresses up and makes himself look very nice and 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 i'm totally okay with men wearing makeup and yeah 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 yeah. anyone wearing makeup or nail polish or whatever it does to make them feel great yeah so she makes herself look beautiful
0: yeah
1: um she gets herself ready to go out on this date and not that boaz knows it's a date but she's presenting herself in the best possible
0: way absolutely
1: She's trying to um, win int- him over. Well, yeah, but it's interesting too. She doesn't go to him um, like in front of all his friends. No. She waits. She waits yeah. until he's had the meal. He's in a really good mood. He's had a drink. You know, it's probably been it's a, hard, a day. Yeah, hard day. a bit merry. Yeah, hard day the freshening fro. He's had his celebration, and afterwards she goes to him in private. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we get these innuendos. So we were saying earlier. Um, we probably don't know, can't understand what exactly this means, but certainly we need to read some innuendo here. So in verse eight, it says, um, in the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Yes. So, um, in fact, feet is often a euphemism for genitals in the Bible, um, this, there's a number of euphemisms just like we have euphemisms today yeah yeah <laughs> i don't think you'll find the word penis in the old testament i could be wrong but um instead we don't think more i've effective. read it in my any of my readings no, no 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 um and they wouldn't have used those words and and just like we don't use those words so she actually is presenting herself to him mm. um and I think we can guess that they probably had sex. Yeah. <laughs> it's not written yeah. in the text. They might not have. It might have been all very innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we need to shy away from the fact that, um, you know, we, we in the Christian church we have often placed a big importance on you get married and then you have sex. But I don't Alrighty. think that's necessarily what happens in the Old Testament and I don't think that's what they expected to happen. No, like, that's right. She's not... Um, doing anything untoward here this is absolutely well within cultural customs um and to consummate before they have a marriage is not at all frowned upon so I think Mm. we can understand that 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 in this day it happened so I'm not talking about what should happen or should not happen today but in this day totally cultural appropriate for her to do this and Boaz says um you know thank you this you have chosen me yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and shown your honour. And um, I guess he's being a bit humble there because he's been described as the Eshet Gvor Chayil. Yeah, um, yeah. And now he says to her, you're an Eshet Chayil. So Eshet Chayil is yeah. the um, yeah, the woman hayil. of valour that we talked yeah. about in Proverbs 31. And you were right, Amanda, last yeah. week when you said it was.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project.
1: Um, yes, well done. I'd forgotten. <laughs> so like we we get this sense that they're a really good match, even though, yeah, well, yeah. he is quite a bit older. We get the sense that he's a bit older. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and he's and a he man of,
0: of quite good standing too. He's, he's got significant position or posture within the community. Um, Classic Elizabeth
1: and Mr Darcy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if totally, you like yeah. Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to marry well to look after yourself. Um, but it it wouldn't seem that he has any other wives or we're not told about any other wives there might have been other wives or um there might have he might be widowed as well we just don't know I have seen some queer readings Mm. that say Boaz isn't married because he's gay um okay and he's just kind of doing what he should by Ruth and Mm I I guess I'm not opposed to that but being a I want it to be a love story so I want him to fall in love
0: with it <laughs> I think that that actually reminds us again of the importance really of minding the gap you know in the pages um, because when we read this story we actually read it with our own uh, context and understanding of how sex works in our own society and what it means now to be um, forming covenants and bonds and relationships with people and mm-hmm. And it really is very different. So, you know, even though there's the suggestion in this reading that they they may have actually um, had sex, you know, right there on the threshing room floor, um, it, it, what they were doing or, or what Ruth did to approach it was actually a culturally appropriate action from what I've read. You know, the whole idea of going to find... Um, um, uh, you know the the brother of of your widow, the brother of your your deceased husband, to actually marry into the family to continue the line is um I, I was doing some I can't say reading because I don't read it I, I was listening you know to some some recordings uh, about this and they were talking about yibum it, it, yibum is is the the action like that's what it is it's it's when the 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 brother of the deceased husband actually takes a place of the husband so that the the familial line can continue but the understanding is that the child is um it, like it is not theirs sort of there was some <laughs> the child is of the the original husband of the original husband yeah and and I found that fascinating and um I'll see if I can find some more information you know, about it. We were talking earlier about the places where we would go online to find some cultural um, context for those. And I was just blown away by some of the things that I was learning in terms of how it, the culture of the day worked. And it was really, like for me, it was really exciting to get all of this new insight so in the Bible, it's
1: often referred to as levirate marriage, and we do have it in the story of Judah and Tamar. Mm-hmm. Um, Tamar is married to one son, and he mm-hmm. dies. So she's married to the next mm-hmm. son, and he dies. Mm-hmm. And then Judah pulls a swifty and doesn't mm-hmm. marry her to the third son because he's mm-hmm. worried about
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that something she's doing is mm-hmm. killing off his sons. Um, go and read that story; mm-hmm. it's great. Absolutely, and <laughs> and
0: actually there were there were two other stories. Um, in one of the podcasts I was listening to um, and that's really funny because I just made the old-fashioned phone symbol in my hand when actually they don't <laughs> do it like that anymore. Um, that's, you know, 21st century culture for you. Um, the Yibum the uh, setting appears um, in two other stories relating to the Book of Ruth as well too and one of them was the story of Tamar and the other one was the story of um, Lot and Lot's daughters as well too. Yes. Um, and that's another interesting story as well too. And there was, you know, much, much um, conversation about uh, what what they were understanding they were doing or what, what um, Lot understood, you know, uh, fascinating stuff. And not so much just detail. Just go like we, so, yeah. we are making guesses about what this means.
1: Um, Absolutely. they kind of referred yeah. to, but they're referred to in a way as if you should know what this means. Um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. People at the time wouldn't have needed this explained because they Absolutely. knew what it was about. Um, But then we see the the parable, too, where the um, Pharisees are asking Jesus, who will I be married to in heaven, you know, because I've married one and then the next wife and they all die.
0: Which one am I married to in heaven? Yeah, that's right. So that's where that story actually comes from. It comes from this understanding of of the familial line actually continuing through the the siblings. (laughs) Well, and it makes sense because you keep
1: the land together and we still sort of see this yeah. through English history where you're trying to get noble houses to marry mm-hmm. so that you keep the land together. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, if we parcel up the land too small, it becomes too small to provide food for the family. Yeah. So there's a new reason, a survival reason yeah. Yeah. to do these things. Um, and we read in the text here that perhaps Boaz is not the most direct descendant Um but he is in the li- he is in the line of people who could keep this together.
0: Yeah, and in fact, Boaz actually goes to the person who actually is probably the person sort of next in line for that and they kind of, they shy away from, from Ruth and go, oh, no, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in marrying that person. So Boaz does it. And that's another whole really interesting, like, part of the story too. Um, well, I again, think- if we
1: think of it in terms of Tamar, like... Judah doesn't want Tamar to marry the mm-hmm. next son because it places his other son at risk. Mm-hmm. So potentially in Ruth marrying into this family, it poses them at risk or it might dilute their family holdings. Mm-hmm. So I um, I think we can see that there's a real a reasonable reason why the other person might not want to and it might not be have anything to do with romance, even though I like
0: to think that it's romantic because that's where my heart goes. <laughs> yeah. But it does um, sort of it, it does sort of seem to suggest that you know, through the wedding that they use of Ish uh, Gabor Hael and Ech-tai, uh, Eshet Hael, that 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 you know, the, there is a sense in which it's it's a it's a, a compatible relationship, like it, it's kind of that match made in heaven idea. like Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, I mean... the divine providence that comes from this is we get Jesse and and Obed and you know Obed and Jesse, and then we get David, and then we get you know. Generations later, we get Jesus. Like, Well, and if we go
1: back to Jane Eyre, because that's my favourite book in the world. (laughs) That's fine, go, go, go. (laughs) In some ways, it would seem that Jane and St John Rivers are matched, but actually her heart is matched with Mr Rochester, Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, within that story, Mr. Rochester is much older, you know, he's not married, he's bitter, like he's all these things you wouldn't think fits Jane, but mm-hmm. actually they fit together perfectly as mm-hmm. a couple and, and they have to go through, like it's one of these literary things yeah. that you have to go through an obstacle before you get to true love. <laughs> yeah, 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 literary are amazing. But I was just thinking
0: yeah.
1: about that live right marriage, you know. Um, if it's Ruth, if Boaz... Um, marries Ruth it it might go to her ex-husband so I might be mixing that up but Mm. who's the Moabite Um, and I wonder if that plays into this idea that she's always a Moabite. and in the genealogy at the end of chapter four we're told that a baby is born to Naomi so Naomi's family gets to keep the line they sort of Mm -hmm. I suspect they fudge the rules so that it stays within the Israelite line and they sort of go it's okay we'll keep it in the Israelite line but we forget in this case, that she's a Moabite test coming.
0: Yeah, and, and it's usurping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's always referred to as a Moabite, um, yeah. so she never actually gets to, I guess, be reconciled. She always maintains that that um, bit of outsider yeah, status. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is just fascinating um, in in itself. So, um, so that then makes it, you know, even I guess more interesting that we find this kind of. Um, uh, Bump in the the genealogy of Jesus, who comes to be the savior for the whole of mankind. You know, that's that's an an interesting interesting concept. So,
1: yeah, the women who are included in those genealogies are not women who keep it in a straight way. So, I kind of think we need to think about that that Mm, you mm. don't have to have the upright genealogy. (laughs) You can have some interesting women do your family history. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or you can be one of the interesting women in their family history and that's all good. I think I'd much rather be one of the interesting women in the history than, you know, one of the unnamed Uh, wives.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think that, like, I think, well, it's similar to the pandemic, right? We're living through interesting times. And while in one way it's really exciting and we get to see changes happening in front of Mm. our face, there are difficulties living in interesting yeah, yeah. times. None uh, of these interesting times yeah, yeah, yeah. are easy to live for. So I'm someone who thinks, no, sometimes I just like a nice, easy life. I don't want to be interesting.
0: I just want it to be unremarkable. Can we just be quiet and, you know, I yeah, just want to be comfortable for a few years. Yes,
1: that's
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, hear you. I hear you. Oh dear. So um. What other observations might we want to make about Ruth in particular as we just finished unpacking this for the day? Because I think, you know, there is actually a lot that gets packed into these four small chapters, (laughs) Um, quite a lot that gets packed into these four small chapters. And I guess that's why it's really important to take the time to sit down and to do the unpacking um, and to do the work of actually the discovery of what we find once we start to look at the text and then start to look um, beneath the text as well to see where it comes from um, you know there is just so much there that that I think is for me it's in, it is important and I guess we've sort of talked around a lot of those things already but we have to actually talk about and consider the importance of what that means for us as we um, think about these readings speaking into our own time and context too.
1: yeah so one of the big things for me is that um, i think ruth reminds us or the book of ruth reminds us that our understanding of marriage is very contextual what we understand of marriage today is not right through the hebrew bible it's not through the um, new testament it is very much a contextualized understanding of marriage and Mm. And when we sort of make claims to what a biblical marriage is, we have to be really, really careful. Um, so for me, the piece of paper, the marriage piece of paper is not so much interesting or important as the relationship that um, yeah. underpins it, this this being fitted for each other and being committed to one another, covenanting to go together. Yeah. But And within that, in the end of chapter four, like Boaz doesn't just go and have this meeting. So Ruth meets him. On the threshing floor by himself, uh, away mm. from eyes. But then he goes yep, yep. to deal with the other kinsman, rin- Redeemer. He does it in front of the community and says, yes, yeah. um, You know, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Tess Mullins, widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. So, you know, in the marriage ceremony today we have witnesses. We have both the ones who formally sign their names, but everyone who comes to celebrate are formal witnesses. And I think we probably need to think about how we as communities witness to the big events in each other's lives, marriages, of course, but other big events that are happening for people Yeah, and how we are upfront and public with the decisions we make like so many of our decisions get made behind closed doors and unless you're behind those closed doors unless you're in the room where it happened, <laughs> as hamilton yeah, would absolutely. say yeah you don't know what's going on no, you don't know right. why the decisions were made you don't know what decisions were made sometimes yeah, so yeah. i think particularly in church hierarchies we could do much better at going well let's go and speak to the people let's actually have witnesses to what we're doing and to why we're doing it so that all understand and all can be sort of included. Yeah,
0: and I think that's the you know, this the, the sense in which um that's what's important about um living in community with one another is that we actually do need to bear witness to what is happening in the lives of one another and we do actually also need to hold one another accountable for what is happening in the lives of one another. And that's you know, that we see that played out here in the community as well too, um, even right back from the very beginning of the, of the story. You know, we, we see that that accountability and that witnessing through the act of covenanting that happens, then through the act of, of you know, the, the cultural exchange that happens between Boaz and, and Ruth and, and the promise then of, um, you know, the family relationship being restored and through the way that Boaz actually goes to speak to the, the other in line to actually sort of do that. that that's all part of it. Um, and I, I think one of the things that we've done over the generations and and I don't know when it happened but I suspect it happened when we began to live a lot more in our own individual premises rather than in close connected communities with one another Um, you know you always sort of knew what was happening with neighbours and you knew who people were and you had that sense of the community that we don't have any longer because we now have fences and locked doors and look I'm not um, not certainly speaking against those things but i think the act then of forming community with one another so that we can actually bear witness to what's happening in our lives and we can be accountable to one another has to be a much more intentional act than i think what we make it most of the time
1: yeah um i think it was carol Meyer's work um she's a uh archaeologist i want to say um And she said, you know, in these communities, like there's clear delineations in terms of gender and the roles, but Mm. the women get together and thresh the wheat together uh, as a group. So Mm -hmm. it's around this threshing wheat that often relationships are formed, that you know what's going on. And of course, if you know what's going on with your neighbour, then if they're in trouble, you can help them um whereas when we are all individualized it's much harder to know and it takes effort to pick up that phone and ring someone or or text them um and say how are you going you know we haven't caught up Mm -hmm. um so for me these days we have to be much more intentional about community and as an introvert i do find that difficult um so thank you for all the extroverts who are very good at it (laughs) and who reach out and say you know are you going okay are we going okay who's yeah. missing from our community, who might be struggling. And in a really, like, I think often we think about talking about people as gossip and we put it down and say this is a bad thing. But actually in when we do it in the right spirit, we yeah. actually have to talk to one another to care for each other and to let people know. Because I know when my husband left, I didn't Mm. want to have a thousand conversations about this is, (laughs) you know, this devastating event has happened in my life. So for me, putting it on Facebook was a really easy way to communicate. And then people contacted me and said, how can I support you in this? And how can I help you? So so I think sometimes, you know, we don't want to be gossiping about people in a mean way, but sometimes talking about what people are going through and thinking about the different ways each of us can support them is actually a really powerful and community-building mm-hmm. um, thing, if done in the right spirit. Yeah.
0: And and I think that's part of, you, you know, uh, in the Christian community, we're called to be people who um, uh, are prayerfully upholding one another. And uh, for me, I find that it, it's actually really challenging to be able to um, uphold one another in, in active and appropriate prayer if I don't have a sense of... Um, who they are and what's happening in their life and because i don't know then you know how do i pray for them without it being uh feeling like it's a generic prayer you know i want to actually mm. take the relationship seriously and have it, an authentic engagement with them um and and you know we that's what we see Uh, in this story as well too Uh, and that's what we see in the gospel story as well too when um, Jesus challenges what the the teachers of the law are actually saying there you know and the fact that they're coming to him Um, he really is sort of reminding them that they don't have to flout all of their their knowledge and their status and their power and other things that you know let's talk about real and authentic engagement with one another um And I think, too, that's also um, the great reminder in that for us as well, too, is that what we're seeing is, again, as as we go on from last week's reading, is that, you know, you get the sense in which Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, you know, and Mm. going back to the historical words of the Shema, and then we actually see the engagement, which doesn't appear in either of the texts it's actually completely missed out where um, my scriptures actually headed the messiah david's son and lord so we get that connection you know but what we actually then get is sort of the new interpretation of that as well too where jesus is saying to the teachers of the lord just you know pull it in a little bit you you are uh, it's not about this it's actually about this and so then we get the little um story at the end of the widow and her offering. Well and I would hope that, you know, we
1: only get that little bit about the widow. I would hope that in, at the end of that story, the community not only sees her, but they go, now we have to support her and others yeah, like absolutely. her. Yeah. So there's a beautiful com- campaign. I think it's by Meaningful Ageing Australia Called see me, know me about older people, yeah because um, if you see them and you know them, you're much likely, more likely to be able to speak into their lives and yeah. and help them with whatever they might be struggling with. And same too, at the end of Ruth, you know, we end with the birth of the child. But I would hope that all these women are celebrating that Naomi now has a son, that they would be going, well, we're going to be there to support the raising of this child, and we're going to love yeah. this
0: child absolutely. Um,
1: along with all the other children in the village who are born yeah, at absolutely. this time.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, absolutely spot on. And I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Um, and I think really uh, it isn't until we start to unpack these stories that we start to actually really get the sense of, of what the call is for us now in our own world and in our own time as well too. And, um, you know, whether we speak into it as um, absolute truth or whether we speak into it um, as we both do, thinking about the inspired word of God that's been written down um, across the generations for us to actually think about how we be followers of Christ in our own time, these stories uh, are powerful in helping us to discover that and helping us to live that out as well too and so to be able to sit and talk through these stories um, with you and with others has been absolutely fabulous Um, and that's a real encouragement I think and I would invite everybody to find the opportunity where you can engage in the storytelling with one another because the storytelling that we see here in scripture actually helps us to tell our own stories and you know Mm, in the course of this week and last week, we've shared our own stories because we find those points of resonance with it, and and that helps us then to find out how it connects us to God, um, because we're connecting through these stories, and that is just a, a magnificent gift that we've got for us. Hey, I'm, I, I wonder, like we're we're approaching an hour now, which is brilliant, and I have no problems with that, but I'm I'm kind of feeling a little bit like i'm talked out now is there anything that we haven't covered that you um, want to say
1: <laughs> the only thing would be that you know after this happens on the threshing floor it's it, it's interesting to note that ruth says here have some food to take home with you and he have some more so like i feel like this is kind of a pledge and also, when Ruth takes it home, she doesn't have to just tell Naomi what happened. She's got clear evidence mm, mm. of that this is a pledge that he's going to look after us one way or the other. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, actions speak louder sometimes. <laughs> it,
0: yeah, yeah. It very much is the, the physical, um, tangible actions as well, too. Definitely. Yeah, looking after their, their need to eat. Yeah, absolutely absolutely hey Michelle um thanks so much for sharing your conversation uh, or sharing this conversation with me today again it's been delightful I'm wondering whether you have in your mind a verse of the day for you that speaks to you about this particular or or comes to you this week as you've reflected on all of these readings and the other readings yeah so I grabbed one out of um the gospel
1: reading for today so mark 12 Mm mm-hmm verse 44 um it says they gave they all gave out of their wealth but mm-hmm. she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on Brilliant. so i think that's an encouragement for all those of us who are much closer to the poverty line than the wealth line yeah. that whatever we give is enough we don't need to be ashamed um, no. that we haven't got as much as anyone else to give whatever we can give
0: that's enough yeah absolutely um And just connecting that back to Ruth again too. You know, Ruth gave everything um, and in the same Mm. way Boaz did as well too. So, you know, that that idea that we we do give it all um, is absolutely magnificent. Uh, The very last comment I was going to make was that, you know, I was thinking about how people might like to engage the story of the widow's offering because it is only a small story for us that we have in Mark's Gospel and, and my brain went, you know, this would be a fantastic opportunity for some Ignatian reflection. So um, to actually go through the process of thinking about uh, the setting and what it might have been like and to do the, you know, the, the painting the picture in your mind... Um, with some music and thinking about the smells and the sights and the sounds and, you know, all of those kinds of things around this. So I've got some things around Ignatian contemplation and actually reading scripture um, and engaging with scripture in that light and it's something that I've been encouraging my community to do. So I'll pop a uh, link up as well too uh, to offer to you to take this and to do the, the reflection through the senses um, and to see what God might speak to you uh, or how God might speak to you through that as well too for the day. So, um, Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me again this week. This is the last uh, time we'll be seeing you for this year, but I'll be looking forward to seeing you again next year, which will be wonderful, and catching up with you for more um, conversation around Scripture too. Um, Friends, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation that we have had this morning. I know I certainly have. And, you know, looking at Michelle and the way that she's now scrolling through pages uh, as well (laughs) to find things, I'm certain she has as well too. Um, Sharing our stories with one another is how we actually get to know Christ better because we actually get to share Uh, the experiences with one another and share the understandings we have with one another. And that's uh, a real powerful gift that we have. Um, That's it for Tea with Two Reps for this week. Friends, you know how to do all of the social things to keep up with us. And to those of you who are keeping up with us, thank you for, uh, continuing to listen and continuing to share with us. It's great to know that what we are offering here is actually reaching out to you and helping you along your own faith journey as well too. Um, so please go to the social pages, like, subscribe, you know, um hit the little notification bells so you actually get all of the notifications when they come in, um, jump onto SoundCloud, share us with your friends, um, you know, do the whole bit. And if you would like to continue to support support us as we go into the new year, um, the, the, the Patreon link is also on the page as well too, and you can actually um, bless us so we can continue to bless the wider community of faith in the world too. Um, That's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. Thank you so much for being my guest today too and last week. Um, And I do look forward to sharing with you again. Folks, Tea with Two Revs is an activity of the Growing Faith Down Under project and can be located online at growingfaithdownunder.org. Not .com, growingfaithdownunder.org. Um, where you'll find all of the links and things to the show notes today and um, all of the magnificent bits and pieces that we've talked about and uh, lots, lots more for you there too. So um, until next time, uh, it's goodbye from me and God bless.